0: Well, brothers and sisters, we find ourselves here this morning on Gaudete Sunday. You noticed we have the pink candle for the third Sunday of Advent lit. Uh, Advent itself is, of course, um, not a full penitential season like Lent, but it is penitential. Thus, uh, purple is the color. Many of you um, tried-and-true Anglicans or liturgical Christians know that Um, Advent is to Christmas as Lent is to Easter. There's this penitential notion, but today on Gaudete Sunday, we have a pink candle, which is um, not fully, it's not white, it's not a celebratory Sunday, but it's also not fully penitential. We have Gaudete, which means, of course, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say uh, rejoice. But it's an interesting Sunday to have uh, the reading of from the Gospel, Matthew chapter 11, with John's imprisonment. So let me say to you, uh, as we approach, finally, the incarnation of our Lord in Christmas, we're getting there, we're getting close, that for many of us, um, we, over the last several years or maybe decades, have lost loved ones, have had difficulties in our life, and when we approach Christmas time, um, it's not quite as um, joyful as maybe we think it it ought to be. Some of us come to the incarnation, which is coming before us here in just a few weeks, maybe with with doubt or with kind of thinking through, uh, Lord, I'm not sure fully that I can believe. Well, brothers and sisters, let me tell you this, that in St. John the Baptist, we have a model for how to live the Christian life, specifically when we find ourselves in situations beyond our control that are difficult, and that we are called to be more like John the Baptist and not anything like the generation that our Lord addresses here in Matthew 11. Let me begin with a word about expectations. Expectations can be everything in life, right? I mean, you think about anything that you've ever wanted or not wanted, for instance, and you think about your expectations, and when they're met, things are... Good, the expectations were met, wonderful. When they're not met, of course, it's despair, grief, loneliness. So I'm an advocate of just setting the bar really, really low on the expectations. Yes. Then you're not a fatalist, you're an optimist all the time. But expectations actually drive our reality much more than we think. Even our Christian faith. We see so often, and I know this from personal experience, that I insert myself into the situation and I say, "Uh, Lord, I expected you to show up in such and such a way and you didn't. You didn't meet my expectations. And because you didn't meet my expectations of how a God or the God ought to behave, then uh, I'm going to kind of move into um, disbelief. There are really two ways in life when we look at it for both the Christian and the non-Christian, and one is that narrow way, the narrow way of humility of saying that we, in fact, are not God, but that we receive from Him the truths in the Scripture. We receive from Him what He wants to say to us in prayer and contemplation, but we're not the center of the universe. And then there's a way of pride, of ego, that kind of detaches ourselves from the Holy Scriptures and from God and prayer and and, and in conversation with other Christians, we detach ourselves and we say, well, if I were God, I wouldn't have done things this way or that way. And we end up setting ourselves up as the judge over God. And we, ha- we bring our expectations into how God ought to behave or not behave. And this, of course, leads then to unbelief and to despair. It finally, brothers and sisters, leads to what Jesus is going to point out about that generation doubts but rather brothers and sisters we are to be like John the Baptist and let me explain if you have a bible in front of you please turn to page 816 our Matthew 11 reading beginning in verse 2 now when John had heard in prison about the deeds of Christ he sent word by his disciples and said to him are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another John is in a terrible situation. He's imprisoned in a Roman prison there in Judea. I'm sure being beaten and flogged, he will eventually be beheaded, we know. He's in prison, and you see, John, at one point in his life, had not only baptized the Messiah, when he saw Jesus from afar, what did he say? What did John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God, Him who takes away the sins of the world, that John the Baptist is now imprisoned. You see, John the Baptist had, of of course, expectations about the Messiah. And let me say this very plainly and clearly here. His expectations were not that far off. In Isaiah 35, that is our Old Testament reading, we see some of these messianic expectations. And we see here in verse uh, 4 of Isaiah 35, just, just listen here, it says this. Um, Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God, and he will come and save you. And here John the Baptist is, this prophet. He's in prison, awaiting what will be his death, and he's heard about the deeds of the Messiah, but he hasn't been able to experience them firsthand And these seem to not be the deeds of the Messiah that he is expecting. And by the way, again, his expectations are not completely off, are they? For we know that the Messiah will come again to judge the living and the dead. I preached on that two Sundays ago. But you see, Isaiah 35 goes on to say this, and our Lord quotes it in his response to John the Baptist in prison. Verse 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. In the, in the ears of the deaf, un, uh, deaf unstopped, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. John had his expectations about the Messiah, and they weren't fully being realized, and it caused him to doubt a bit. Let me say this, for too often this text is preached on to say, well, see, John the Baptist, he was a faithful follower of our Lord, but even he had just... Crazy doubts and just didn't know about the Messiah. Well, well, well let's, let's not go too far down that existential kind of, you know, street here. Because we're going to see, and it's a very nuanced reading here, but we're going to see that what John the Baptist does in the midst of his expectations of God not being fully met, these expectations of the Messiah not being fully met, he does something that we often refuse to do. Rather than be like the generation that stood back objectively and said, well, then surely this wasn't him. My disciples, uh, we need to look for somebody else completely. It's not him. He does what? He sends his disciples to the word of God, to Jesus. In his doubt, he leans into the word of God. He leads in to the one whom he had said, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold he who takes away the sins of the world. He's willing to say, If this man says to me, No, I'm not the one, then he is not the one. And if he says that he is, then I in humility will receive it. You see, he leans in, and brothers and sisters, there are many of us today that yes, we have our doubts about the faith, or maybe we find ourselves Moving into this Christmas season, this Christmas tide, missing relatives or loved ones, and we're thinking just in God's providence, how could these things happen? What's going on? And we're having doubt. Let me encourage you to lean into Jesus as John did. And how do you do that? Brothers and sisters, let me um, say this. The times in my life, and I know Father Daniel can attest to this and and a few others that I talk to on a regular basis... Too often I find myself leaning on my own understanding about what God would or wouldn't do and I try to philosophize. I studied philosophy in undergrad and Lord redeem all that, I'm kidding. Philosophy is a good thing. Let me encourage you in what might be an imprisonment in this moment in your life with doubts to lean into the word of God written to find out about who God is, how he behaves in reality. Isaiah 35 in our Old Testament reading justified John's belief that the Messiah was going to come with recompense and judgment. But that's the second advent, not the first. You see, he had maybe forgotten completely or was unaware to some extent that the Messiah was also going to do what? He was going to give sight to the blind, he was going to raise the dead. And it's interesting, too, that when John's followers hear what our Lord is going to tell them to report to John, he leaves off one really important messianic expectation that I think John may have wanted to hear. Remember, I think it's in Isaiah 61, where in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in the synagogue and he says, "The, the Spirit is upon me to preach, you know, and he goes through kind of all these things that the Messiah would do. He also says to preach liberty to those imprisoned, and he leaves that off. For John. I wonder if he was expecting that in that moment. But for Jesus to say, no, 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 you're going to remain in here, but I'm asking you to be faithful. So let us continue here in Matthew 11. The question, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? John leans in into his doubt by asking the source, the Lord, not other, not other quote-unquote prophets of the day, not even his own disciples, he wants to go to the source. And Jesus answered the disciples, John's disciples. Verse 4, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. Just a few verses earlier, it says that John had heard about the deeds of our Lord, but he's imprisoned, he hadn't seen them. And so Jesus tells John's disciples, go to him and tell him not only what you hear on the street about what I'm doing, but what you have beheld, what you have seen with your own eyes. So now John could receive that good news of both what was heard by his disciples and him, but also what was being done, what, was, what they had seen. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, all this Isaiah language. And the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor of good news preached to them. And the Lord ends in verse 6 with this beatitude. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Brothers and sisters, that word offended in the Greek um, is uh, skandaloi, I think is the pronunciation of it. Um, But we get our word scandalized from it. Blessed is the one who is not scandalized by me. Blessed is the one whose expectations are a bit off, but receives me as the authority, that receives me as the one who is proclaiming to you truth, that in humility bows to the Lord and says, I will receive what you are giving to me. We can go back to the garden for a moment with Eve and with Adam. The serpent is always, he was offering something, quote-unquote, better and beyond. Something that might have met, quote unquote, their expectations. But brothers and sisters, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Some of you are on the verge. On the verge maybe of leaving the faith. Some of you are on the verge, you're, as we come to this Christmas tide, as we get the final Advent candle lit, as we move into our, you know, the, the celebration of the holy nativity of our Lord, that, that another Christmas without a loved one, another Christmas of heartache, of life being difficult, of of sin that you're trying to, to eradicate by the power of the Spirit, another Christmas, do not be offended. Blessed is the one who's not offended by our Lord. Take him in and receive him, brothers and sisters. Receive him. And we do it. I know that I get paid to tell you to read the Bible, but read the Bible for this is how we know the character of God, that he gives and takes away that he blesses and has mercy upon us, that he is patient as we think about during Advent, patient so that we might be saved. Blessed is the one who is not offended by our Lord. Brothers and sisters, I love how um, it says, as they went away, that as John's disciples left to go inform John the Baptist about what they had heard from Jesus the Messiah, Jesus began to speak to the crowds in verse 7. He goes on, I'm not going to read all this, but our Lord goes on and he affirms the ministry of John the Baptist. He affirms his ministry. He says, matter of fact, if you'll, receive the, if you'll receive it, this is, now our Lord doesn't say Malachi 3, but that's what he's quoting here. If you'll receive it, John the Baptist is in the, is in the spirit of Elijah. From Malachi chapter 3, he is the forerunner who is to come. You see, John, in his doubt, leans into the Lord, and what does our Lord do publicly for him? He affirms his ministry. He affirms his belief and his calling as a prophet unto God. For those of you struggling with doubt and with the faith, lean into the Lord. Be not scandalized by him, and he will declare you to be a brother or a sister of his. But finally, we end here in verse 16. But there's another way that you can go and that I can go. We can be like John the Baptist or we can be like the generation that's mentioned here in Matthew 11. Let me pick up in verse 16. Jesus says, but to what shall I compare this generation? He's talking to the crowd. He's talking about them. Dare I say he's talking about us too often. It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they said, he has a demon. And the son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see, brothers and sisters, when we allowed our own pride, our own search for objectivity in the way that we view the God of the universe and His Son, Jesus Christ, when we allow that to get in the way, we're never pleased. (laughs) That generation saw John the Baptist, a bit of a crazy prophet out in the wilderness, preaching repentance, the life of an ascetic, not eating and drinking, but fasting and calling to repentance, and they said, this guy's got a demon out there. Surely God wouldn't be speaking through him, of course. And then the Son of Man shows up, and he's eating and drinking and feasting, and he's in the home of sinners trying to draw them into the kingdom. And that same generation that rejected John the Baptist for his asceticism, for his life of repentance, for his hard teachings, rejects our Lord because, well, he's a glutton and a drunkard. A real man of God wouldn't be eating and drinking and celebrating the kingdom and calling sinners to repentance and being close to them we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. The, the flute here, um, this, this sign of kind of, um, of rejoicing, of, of dancing. It's kind of like um, when we have, I don't want to say music hour in our home, but the kids of their own volition go and grab all these little instruments we have, and, and I will say it drives me nuts, and I get close to being this generation here, um, that they have the tambourine and all the stuff, and they're running around. And Jennifer and I dance, a little. we dance with them, um, we enjoy it with them. We, we communicate that we love them and are involved in them, and we're rejoicing. But you see, the ones um, who played the flute, they were like our Lord who came with a celebratory song that the kingdom has arrived for sinners. And this generation are like the spoiled brats who say, we're not going to dance to this. This isn't how God would act. And then it goes on to say, or like the children who sang the dirge, the, the funeral him and did not mourn. There was a dirge that was sung and they refused to play the game and to mourn. Again, John the Baptist came calling for repentance and judgment and they refused to play that game. Brothers and sisters, let us not find ourselves amongst this generation. But finally, let wisdom be justified by her deeds. That's the closing remark of our Lord here. And what does he mean by this? He's telling that generation that true wisdom will be justified in her deeds. Another translation of this is wisdom will be justified by her children, her offspring. We see then that the Lord on the way to his, to his cross, to his death, to his passion, is saying that the wisdom he is pouring out to them will be justified by the deeds that are to come. Brothers and sisters, are we attentive to the deeds, to the workings of our Lord in this reality in such a way that we can say he is true wisdom and he is therefore worthy of being listened to and worthy of being followed. In conclusion, our brothers and sisters, as we approach this Christmastide, as we continue with the expectation of the arrival of our Lord, let scripture set our expectations. Let the teaching of the church set our expectations. And finally, in those moments of doubt and his suffering, let me commend you to lean into Jesus himself and go to the source and listen to him who calls all of us sinners to, by faith, exchange our burden for his yoke that is light as we continue to come into that kingdom by repentance. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.